0: Welcome to the Virtual Millionaire Show. This show brings to you millionaire real estate entrepreneurs who have cracked the code to the money game. We discuss how to start and scale a real estate business to millions and beyond so you can do the same. I'm your host, Michael McDonald. All right, just wrapped up an episode with Matthew Paison. Matthew is an extremely humble, he won't tell you that, but he's an extremely humble real estate investor and owner of Paison Properties, uh, a team of local Pennsylvania buy and hold experts who purchase and improve rental properties in the Lehigh Valley real estate market. Matt has a very unique story of how he worked for 12 years as a chemical engineer before transitioning to a full-time real estate investor. Um, all while double hatting, meaning him working a full-time job while building an extremely impressive uh, real estate portfolio. Uh, Matt has a wealth of wisdom, and in today's episode, he breaks down uh, where the, where the current market is. He talks about his strategy and how he's a little bit different than a lot of other investors and just shares a very inspiring story of how he was able to build a pretty cool portfolio. Uh, while working his job. It uh, gives a lot of tips and tricks to anybody who's a W-2 employee uh, looking to get started in real estate and, and scale uh, their own portfolio. So you're definitely going to want to check this out. Stay tuned to the very end to see how you can find out lo- more about Matt. All righty. So Matt, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Dude, Michael, good to talk to you. Good
1: to see you. How you doing?
0: Doing amazing. I am so excited to, uh, bring you on and share your story, man. I think a lot of people are really going to resonate, um, with your story. And so, uh, this is a live show. And so, uh, as people come in, uh, remember to have questions for Matt, he's a wealth of knowledge and uh, we'll save those for the end and that way he can uh, share some wisdom with you guys. But, uh, for people who maybe are just meeting you for the first time, um, you have a really unique story, man, and I'd love for people to kind of get to know you. So, tell us a little bit about you and how you got started uh, in real estate.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Um, first of all, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. You know, it was great getting to know you at Investor Fuel and and uh, getting to know uh, your business partners. And it's I'm honored to be here. So, um, how I got started in real estate, I, I really got involved backdoor. Um, I come from a line of uh, four generations of engineers. I was a chemical engineer by trade. Um, that's what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do. That's what I went to college for. Um, I actually discovered real estate investing outside of the country. Um, I, I was awarded a Fulbright scholarship to study in Madrid, Spain. I did an MBA. Um, I did it all in Spanish, um, every negotiation, every class, every presentation, every test, everything. And we did a, a, a module on debt, on finance. And I, I that really made sense to me. The stocks, uh, that 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 stuff didn't it didn't resonate with me. The trading, the valuations of these big companies, and I, I really latched onto that one piece. And so when I got back to the United States, I knew that I wanted to get into real estate. And I bought my first single family property in Allentown in 2014, thanks to that program, and it exposed me to entrepreneurship and real estate. And then I've been buying ever since, and I've been growing. And and I recently went full time in real estate investing.
0: Wow, that's that's incredible. So I, I had no idea that you were that fluent in Spanish. Like you, you literally were able to negotiate deals in Spanish. That is so cool.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the, the whole MBA curriculum was was carried out in Spanish. So um, it was my second language. I did my my further education in.
0: That's really cool.
1: So uh,
0: you you went to college, you got your chemical in, uh, engineer degree, yep. and. At what point did you decide, I wanted to start buying properties and investing in real estate?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I practiced chemical engineering for three years before doing my MBA. Um, uh, I came back to the States in 2014. So it had been about three years or so of professional work um, as as an engineer, uh, and then my MBA. So it was four years after I graduated college. I think I was 26 at the time.
0: Okay, so four years after you graduated college and you're like what what gave you the real estate bug how did you how did you hear about it what uh, what really made you have the confidence to dive in cuz you know a lot of times it's hard to balance that investing and a full-time job and i know oh, yeah. that was that was your, your your that's how you made your money so like kind of help me understand that
1: yeah so um, i i i kind of was double-hatting i was i was working full-time and how I got the confidence, I guess just from the, from the MBA curriculum, I thought, well, I've studied business academically. I can, I can dive in and do this. I was involved with a group of investors, um, back when there were foreclosures, it's, it's hard to believe, um, every Saturday morning we would go around and we would see eight to 10 properties. Typically they were foreclosures and I, I got confidence from just going in properties, looking at them, talking with investors. Is it a good deal? Is it not a good deal and why? And, um, and then, then I would put in offers on ones that, uh, that I thought were good. I think I, I missed two and, and so it was just going to see the properties, putting in offers, evaluating why they're a good deal or not good deal that that's how I got the confidence. And the other part of it too, is having a W2 income is an advantage for, uh, when someone's getting started because banks like it. You could get good, good loans with good terms. And so I could make offers confidently because I had a good engineer salary. So that helped with my real estate when I was getting started.
0: I think that's such a good point, Matt, because so many people talk about just jumping and kind of burning the boats per se, right? Um, Which is actually what I did. And that works for some people. But um, I actually have a few uh, people who I help coach uh, to get into the business and like they're all wanting to quit their job or they're all in different various phases and some have and some are in the process and you know it's easy for me to say just like quit your job because I did yes. but it's also not for everyone too and so i like how you pointed the fact out of the financing and how banks like the w2 salary and it's very beneficial for them and so how how long did you do the the wearing multiple hats at the job and buying properties before you finally decided it's time because i know right now as, as we're recording this you are no longer at that job right
1: that's correct yeah i'm doing some work um for a developer um so i took like a pseudo job but it's 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 few hours a week and it's it's less than part-time so it's uh, uh but yeah i'm no i'm no longer at that job as we're recording this so it, it was i was there for I was, it's in the industrial gas. It's a big chemical company, the industrial gas business, and um, providing oxygen during COVID and other things. Like it touches all these different sectors. And uh, but I was there um, in all twelve years in um, in the chemical space, um, working as a W two employee. So um, with with a year and change for my MBA. So. I double-headed for a long time, since 2014. Um, one of my mentors is a big developer here in Allentown, and, and, and um, he, he kind of says, maybe I stayed too long, but I wanted to err on the side of, uh, I, I'm a cautious person. I want The deals that I do, I want them to make sense. I, I underwrite things conservatively. Um, I want to have a certain degree of certainty that when I'm gonna do something, it's going to work out, which is good and bad. Um, a lot, many entrepreneurs just wanna go get it. Um, I'm a little more cautious. So I double-hatted for um, I guess almost eight years from 2014 till 2022, and uh, all it, it was nights, it was weekends, and I'll tell you what it was a grind because you're trying to schedule appointments outside of working hours or take a half day off, and um, I, I was trying not to mix work and real estate because I didn't want the perception that my performance was being affected or not affected by things outside of work. So I was keeping things um, on the uh, you know, pretty quiet and not uh, not opening up at work about what I was doing, and I think that was smart. Um, but at the same time, it's it's hard to to maintain that and still be an investor. And I wasn't doing anything like this. I wasn't doing social media. I wasn't online, and um, it, it was it was hard to do. But in a way, I'm glad that I did it because it really helped with the bank financing. I could do the next deal, the next deal, the next deal, cash out refinance, the Burr method, all that stuff, and. And they were willing to work with me because of the income.
0: Yeah, man, I, I, I think it's so good for people to hear that and to to know that just because this person does, does this or this person does this doesn't mean that it has to be the way that you do it. do it. But right. I, I definitely have to say I'm very impressed with the amount of patience because after I met you at Investor Fuel, um, which is a mastermind that Matthew and I were part of, I was like, you have this much going on in your real estate business and you're still working your job i'm like holy cow you are patient man so kudos (laughs) to you for um building what you've built which is extremely impressive um all while wearing multiple hats because i did it for about eight months Mm -hmm. and you know i'm at a little different point in my career than you um you're, you're a little bit ahead of me but um I was like, I can't, how, how does anybody do this for any longer? I was totally tired of it. And so the fact that you hung in there for that long um, is super impressive. And it's really cool uh, seeing that. So well done, man. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And
1: I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have held on as long as I did if it weren't for the benefits of the the bank financing. Um, the banks were really willing to work with me, which helped me buy more deals, I, I think. So um, there, there was, it wasn't just like a total grind. It was, there was benefit for sure for the real estate side of things.
0: Yeah. So I think the biggest component, like especially as banks tighten and squeeze that right now, especially yep. is people are wondering, you know, what are the banks going to be able to do? So let's talk about that a little bit more. So like when you were at that position, what was the difference between somebody who was maybe self-employed and you in talking to the banks? Like how, how, do, they, how do they look at you versus somebody who didn't have, the W-2
1: job? Yeah. Well, the banks are always going to ask for uh, three years of tax returns, but they really like, if there's 1099 income or there's self-employment income, they really scrutinize that. And they, because it's, it, it's, it's not, not guaranteed. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. Which I, I disagree with, but I mean, I, I guess they've been burned and, you know, it, but the, when, when the employer is a big employer, it's a fortune 500 company that just, they look at it as it's more secured income. And if the property, they'll look at the property first, it, whether it's a W-2 applicant or a 1099 or self-employed applicant, they're always looking first to the property and to the collateral. So if it's a really good deal and you buy a, a, a really discounted property, um, they may be, still be willing to work on it uh, with you and finance it. Um, but if the deal is pretty good or average, um, then they're going to look at how, ha- they're always looking at how am I going to get paid back? So first it's the cash flow. then it's the collateral, the property, but then it's the borrower. Do they have good credit? Do they have good liquidity? Uh, Do they have good income? That's what they're looking at. That's all they care about. They just want to know how will I get paid. So um, if, if the, and if the appetite, if the bank has more of an appetite for loans or not for that type of loan, then they may or may not have more of an appetite, but um, really it, it comes down to the property and, um, but having that W2 income certainly is a differentiator for sure. They just feel that they'll get paid back more easily and that you can support yourself. You're not relying on the property to pay your own bills.
0: Okay. I, yeah, that's so true. And, um, you know what, so what do you say to somebody right now who is at their W2, who maybe a lot earlier on in their career, mm-hmm. who is just feeling spread way too thin, like, working the 10 hours a day at their W-2 with aspirations to go buy real estate and achieve that financial freedom that everyone wants. Um, what do you say to that person who who's juggling and, and wearing those hats right now? I'd
1: say stick with it and keep it up um, and, and don't get discouraged. Um, it will be hard to, to manage and juggle, but when you accumulate the properties that you'll need to be financially free. That's also going to be hard, <laughs> because you're going to there's going to be things that break. There's going to be tenant issues, there's or contractor issues or whatever. So it's a part of the process. It's a part of the journey. Uh, keep keep it up. Don't get discouraged, because um, having that portfolio isn't easy either. It's it's I I think I think it's an idealized notion that it's it's passive income and. Um, once I just have this number of units, I'll just be able to do whatever I want. And it's no work. It's not really true. Um, there's no such thing as truly passive income in this business, if you're a landlord. And and so just, just keep it up. It's tough. It's hard, but, um, it'll prepare you for the journey ahead. You can do it. You can
0: do it. 100%, man. I think that's the biggest thing is just realizing that it's a journey and it's not an overnight success. Get rich quick. Like building a portfolio and not just building a big portfolio just to build a portfolio, but like stabilization, yep. um, predictability, keeping the vacancies to an all time low. Like that takes a lot of hard work. And oh, yeah. one thing that I was, uh, I guess we'll switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about team and how you can manage all that while working a W2 job. Yeah. Because one thing that I noticed about you is like, you didn't really have this great big team, you know, uh, yeah the sexy thing right now is scaling. And, you know, I talk about it and we have a big team, but you were doing a lot of this without having a great big team. So what were the key components of being able to juggle all of that simultaneously to still putting in that time?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's, it's something that I think about often. Do I insource? Do I outsource? And when I was working full time and to this day, um, I work with a third-party manager here um, in, in the Lehigh Valley market, great property manager. Um, they, um, they're a little bit more expensive than the competitors, but the service is worth it. And, and just annual turnovers will just destroy everything. So I'm willing to pay a premium for that manager. But it's, um, I've, I've outsourced most functions, and, uh, including property management. And um, fortunately there's a good property manager um, in my market. I do mostly market rate stuff and they also do section eight and and they're, they're good at it. You know, I, I, the way that I think about it, Michael is um, just because I need money doesn't mean that I need to start a bank or just because I have an insurance policy doesn't mean I need to start an insurance company just because I need to paint an apartment doesn't mean I need, I need to start a painting company. It's the same thing with management. So every function that I take on, it has to be critical to the success of the business, a true core competency. And um, I'm trying to outsource most things to keep freedom high and uh, overhead and um, I guess people issues low. And that's the path that I've taken for now. Um, But that might change um, now that I'm full time in the business, but that's what's gotten me to where I am. Yeah,
0: man, I, I think you have taken a very strategic approach at it, which doesn't surprise me, being that you're coming from a chemical engineer back, background, um, versus somebody like me, I kind of jump off the cliff and then figure it out on the way down. And so I, I really love the thought process behind it, because somebody might be thinking to themselves, well, if this property management company is going to charge me this much more, I'm going to be losing this much money. But in reality, you didn't have to hire an employee. You didn't have to train that person. You didn't have to babysit them. And at the end of the day, they're going to have the best service because that's what they're the best at, that one thing. And that's powerful. That's something that, you know, as any entrepreneur, we all have all these crazy ideas to, oh, well, shoot, I have 50 properties. Like, I'll just go start a property management company. It'll be easy, right? right? Mm -hmm. And then we catch ourselves getting yanked in this direction and then yanked in that direction. And all of a sudden, we're dropping all these balls versus if you just focus on, this company is really good at that and let's just let them be really good at that. And we're going to have a great partnership. It's going to be awesome and it's going to be handled with the best customer service because that's what they're good at. And so I love that you've figured that out without having to think that because you're paying them a higher price that or a percentage that it's taking away from your profitability.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. A- and um, the, the, the thing is that working a full-time job, I- all of my extra energy and focus had to go into acquisitions. It's the only place it could go. Um, it, it couldn't go into, well, what's the status of this turnover? It couldn't go to, um, well, uh, I need to do this repair or I need to follow up on this uh, uh, tenant relations issue. It, all of my focus had to go into acquisitions and finding the next deal. I purchased deals and properties so that all of the downstream stuff could be accounted for and paid for because it was paid for by the deal so then once i got the property purchased and onboarded i handed it off to the manager and then that was of course i i I would do monthly check-ins i look at my reports i follow up fiscally um, making sure everything is is making sense and being managed properly but i i passed everything off to the manager and then the manager's job was to take it from there all the way to disposition when someday i would sell it so i only focused on acquisitions and, and really that's what I want to focus on only in, in the business. Um, and I outsource, I outsource the rest. So that's, that's been my model because I was an employee. I couldn't, I couldn't start up a management company or do these other things or start a contracting company. I only acquisitions, <laughs> that's all I had time for. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's brilliant because you've, everyone always knows, you know, you kind of make a good investment when you purchase, right? Yep. So if you don't have the acquisitions component, you really just don't have a business, right? Right. So I'm curious, you know, we're pretty high volume of acquisitions. We're, we're good at outsourcing or sourcing deals. And so how did you go about finding properties? How did you do acquisitions while wearing that other hat?
1: Yep. Um, so I had an advantage in the earlier, the, I'd say the first three to four years in that there were properties available on the MLS that could make sense. Um, so I initially found them on the MLS up until about 2018. Um, after that, though, so but more relevant for today, um, I, I do a lot of direct mail. Um, I send a lot of letters every month. Um, more recently, now that I left my full-time chemical engineering role, I actually I started up my website, my social media platforms, uh, pay-per-click stuff, ads. So that that's all brand new because I didn't want that stuff, which is easily findable, to affect my income, which would affect the financing, which would affect my ability to do more deals. So. I was, um, I was careful, but now I'm, I'm doing all of the inbound and outbound channels uh, likely that, y- that you are. And I think you even wholesale the property near, near me uh, from across the country like six months ago. So that was I cool to talk about that. So I'm not at yeah. that level yet, but <laughs> I'm doing the online stuff.
0: Yeah, man. It's so cool like what digital advertising can do. And um, it's really just casting right. a message. And if somebody is looking to sell their house in Allentown, the person who was looking to sell their house in Allentown happened to be living in Vegas, which yeah. is why they found our advertising. And we were just able to service that customer, which is pretty cool. And so, uh, if somebody's looking to sell their house in Allentown, what do they do? They just like go online and say, sell my house fast Allentown, or how do they find your advertising?
1: Yep. So um, for the direct mail ways, so the outbound marketing, the, I'll just, um, I, I, I pull the public data um, and I have searchers that are looking for people that are behind on their mortgage payments or taxes. There's not as many these days. So it's, it's smaller lists, all landlords, um, people that have been living in their house for more than 40 years, code violation, all, all the typical lists you read online, um, you know, it, water shutoffs, all that stuff. Um, so I have searchers doing that then on the inbound side, um, doing ads, uh, like Google ads right at the top, you know, if someone types in, I need to, you know, how to sell my house fast in Allentown," in Google, um, one of my ads will pop up in the ad bar with other competitors. Um, and then my website will pop up too. It's not ranked as highly as it, it should be yet, but it's newer. I think it's four or five months old. So, um, yeah. yeah and then Facebook stuff, um you know, you know, boosting posts, stuff like that. Um, social media. So, um, and, and some of the, the channels feed the other channels, like I'll put a QR code on the letters and say, you know, here's our website and then it adds credibility. So sometimes it's, you can't really pinpoint exactly where the lead came from because they could have visited the site from your letter or whatever. I'm getting better at that stuff, but, um, all those ways.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, it, it's, uh, it's, it all works. No, I think, um, There's one thing that's really important for all the listeners and whoever listens to this to understand. There are a lot of real estate investors in this country, a lot of them. But the biggest thing that I think is the most important thing for everyone to understand is not all of us are treated equal. And Mm -hmm. what makes you different, Matt, versus the other people who are in Allentown who are trying to buy houses?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you asked that question because our value proposition to the market is that we can provide the, uh, the quick cash offer, uh, seamless process, just quick, simple offer that wholesalers and flippers can, except for the fact that we're the end buyer. So there's no middle person that needs to make a cut or a profit. So we can offer more than other wholesalers in the area, other flippers, and we can still offer the same service or better service because we're the end buyer. I'm the end buyer. There's no one else. It's, I, I don't wholesale or flip properties. I just buy them. So I can typically offer more, and we outbid competitors because of that. Uh, s- simply because it, it's it's all in house. So um, that's that's what Pizon Properties does, and why we're successful here in this marketplace because there's there's no other middle person that needs to make a cut of that profit. The I love it. Gets it basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, they keep it in their bottom line. I, I yeah, love that
1: exactly. And then they want to work with us.
0: I love it. Yeah. So. And then obviously, then you service them at a high level too, um, along with you know the, the process and all that. So, um, yeah. man, that's awesome. So what, what, what do you think about the current state of the market right now? And um, for guys that are only the only exit strategy is they have to buy it at this deep, deep margin because they're going to sell it to somebody like you. Like, what, what do you think about that, that component
1: in, in the market currently? Yeah, so that's a little bit of a packed question. I mean, I could speak nationally and I could also talk locally. Um, so I'll take local first. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could say locally first. Uh, the Lehigh Valley is actually in a great spot location wise. Um, I, I just saw a report in the news yesterday that this economy. Um, it, so just for everyone that's watching, it's an hour north of Philadelphia, an hour and a half west of New York. Um, it's uh, the economy here in this MSA is bigger than three states. So it's it's a diverse economy and people are coming from New York, New Jersey, these high tax states, in where um, prices are really taking off that people can't afford to live, and they're coming out to the Lehigh Valley, still very very connected. Um, still, you know, the 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 beach is an hour and fifteen minutes away. You have New York, Philly, all these things, um, but their jobs, the cost of living is better. So. Um, here locally, um, it's disposition, it, it, it's, it's fine. It, it, it's not a challenge because uh, prices are continuing to appreciate, even with interest rates going up, um, there's demand for housing and there's going to continue to be demand the, the, the population is expected to grow, uh, by a hundred thousand more people over the next 30 years. Um, it was just estimated a few weeks ago and it's just locally, it's fine nationally, um, I, I think that um, folks need to be careful. Um, the Fed increased now. This it's we're recording this in December. when it's live. Several knows, but um, the Fed just increased short-term interest rates yesterday. The overnight lending lending rate. I I think we'll continue to see rates tick up, um, and as that happens, properties can become more and more unaffordable or less affordable. And so I I think folks need to be careful because the end buyer is going to have a higher monthly payment, which and Incomes are adjusted for inflation or not really rising much. So the end buyer is going to have a harder time affording that house. So just be careful of your margins um, and, uh, and make sure that, that you have a solid edu- exit strategy depending on your market. That's
0: great advice, man. And it's so true because, you know, the, the interest rates I have been going up and how I know nobody has a crystal ball. But do you see the market changing like quarter two, quarter three of next year? I mean, obviously, it has a lot to do with the Federal Reserve and what they decide to do, but do you have any insight on that?
1: Yeah. So like you said, I have no crystal ball and I'm no economist. Um, But as a real estate investor and as many listeners are are doing or aspiring to be, um, when you take on debt, you position your balance sheet next to the Federal Reserve or next to the federal governments. Um, And over the last few years, there have been, I think, four or five trillion dollars of deficits, um, massive numbers. And so I don't think it's fiscally sustainable to have a high rate in the U.S. uh, to service. I think there's going to be problems um, and uh, unrest when um, interest rate payments are more than Social Security or military spending or other big program spending. Um, So I I think that um, it would be difficult to fiscally sustain ourselves at higher interest rates long term. So I think rates will uh, uh, eventually moderate plateau and start to tick down, whether that's Q2 or Q3, I don't know, but, uh, uh of next year, but I, I don't think that I I, th- I think that stuff is, I think something's going to break. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that rates have gone up so fast, so quickly. I don't think we fully understand the impacts of those quick accelerations in rates. There's a large lag there. Even if you look at inflation with all the money printing, how long it took for the inflation to really catch up, um, I, I, I think stuff's going to start to break, and we'll we'll see. Um, we, we might have a, a mild recession next year, and rates will will taper, will plateau. But again, I'm no, I have no crystal ball, but um, that's what I, I tend to think right now.
0: Yeah, well, it's um, very logical thinking, and I I agree with you. And so, one thing I can say for the Las Vegas economy is I have watched it go up like a roller coaster, and I've also mm-hmm. watched it fall down like a roller coaster over the last three to six months it is kind of just crazy and it's really i think has a lot to do with the hedge funds that we're buying and inflating the prices and then all of a sudden they just stopped so Mm. the prices just started falling and so it's been really interesting because i invest a lot in the midwest um to see that market and, and how little it's been affected probably similar to allentown and to see a vegas market and then california even um so it's very interesting to watch um how this all plays out um Let's switch gears a bit here, man. So you talked about how investors should be careful um, underwriting the properties. What mm-hmm. have you changed in regards to underwriting and have banks changed their, their debt service coverage ratios um, on you at all to this point? So
1: not on me. Um- I have been fortunate to build relationships over the last number of years with, with my lenders and, and maintain deposits at their, at their, um, financial institutions. And so it's, they're, they're not, you know, they have liquidity also as collateral with the properties. So they're not as concerned, but for those that are starting out, um, I would, I would recommend. So for, for underwriting and, um, as you're looking at deals, as I said before, just be careful, look for, um, Really think about where you can. So at the end of the day, it comes down to what's the income, what's the expenses, and what's the ratio relative to your mortgage. The bank just wants to see that they have some, you know, whether it's 20% or 30% more than the mortgage payment in income uh, that that can service that mortgage. They just want to get paid back. So if you're a newer investor starting out, frankly, or, or any investor, just be just be prudent right now. Make sure that you're really hitting your rents, that you know what your rents can be. Um, look at HUD's data, you know, look at the housing here. It's PHFA. There's Lehigh County Housing Authority, Northampton Housing Authority, the various cities. But Look at the housing authority. Look at where the rents are for Section 8 for other public rents, fair market rents, HUD. Um, look at what where they've been over time. Have they escalated at 10 percent over last year, 15 percent? Or have they escalated by 2 percent? And that can give you a sense of where they might go. Um, so really look at your income. Where can I reasonably expect my income to go? And then next, look at, look at pricing. Have prices start to plateau in your market? Are they continuing to escalate? Here, they haven't changed. They've continued to go up um, at the same rate as for the last six years, just because of people coming to this area. Um, and, and then look at your expenses. Do you foresee taxes going up in your area um, what type of lend, what type of mortgage do you have? Is it adjustable rate and where do you think rates will be? Or is it a uh, fixed rate for 30 years? Um, so are, how fast can you grow rents versus like, so where are the rents right now? Can you take them from 900 to 1200 or not? Um, and then what are, are your expenses going to be consistent and then the value. So you, you just, it, at the end of the day, it's just how sensitive do you think your income is, your expenses are, and the value of the property and, and just add a little extra security buffer to each of those things that you're looking at and, and then do the deal. Also don't wait though, like if a deal makes sense, do it. I wouldn't get scared because the market might be shifting in your area, but just go into the transaction with your, wise, your eyes wide open and, and uh, talk with other seasoned investors to get their feedback.
0: So much great advice, man. Um, yeah, if you guys are getting value from this, uh, whether it's replay or live, Uh, please make sure to share this out. Matt has dropped a ton of value and the more people that hear it, the more people that can get the value. So uh, thank you for, for all of that. Now, I, as you said that, I started thinking of a conversation that I just had with one of my buddies who he's bought 50 properties this year and he's a buy and hold guy. That's all he does. He's not a flipper. And when he was flipping properties, when the market was just going up like crazy, um, you have to worry about taxes and all that on the back end. But what he said is happening right now is because of the run-up of uh, house sales earlier this year um, and and the slight decline right now is he's actually making more money on the refinances than he would make if he were to flip the property because the appraisals are kind of funky, um, at least in the Midwest market. And so I'm curious, like for somebody like myself who, you know, I have not been, I would say, known as the buy and hold guy. Um, I've been very transactional. And at this point, I'm seeing an opportunity to start holding a lot more property. Um, But I don't have, you know, a huge portfolio to date. So I'm curious on your thoughts of, you know, I'm talking to this guy who has hundreds of properties in his portfolio. And he's like, dude, this is the type of property that you should be uh, buying for cash and then refinancing and collecting your $30,000 profit on the equity that you pull out. But I'm, I'm kind of in this back and forth battle. Like, What do you think about that business model and using that money to kind of consider not necessarily just your income, because we are still flip properties, but this is an addition to it. So what are your thoughts
1: on that? I'm curious. Oh, I mean that's that's what I've done for years. I, I, I've uh, the you know Bigger Pockets brands at the Burr method. You know the buy, uh, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, and that's what I did while I was working full time. That's what I still do, and uh, I, I think it's a fantastic model. Um, I think it's um, it's it's sustainable because um, when you buy a property, you're helping the seller, you're helping the the, the tenant, but then the bank gets a good deal, um, and You know, it's it's just a it's just a really smart business practice, frankly, because you can if you're buying a good deal, if 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 uh, you're buying the property for 55 percent of what it's worth, you put that other, you know, 20 percent into it. You're up to 75 percent of what it could appraise for. You get a 75 percent loan uh, to the value. uh, It's 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 just smart. Um, You can cash out all of the money that you put into the deal and do the next one. So um, I, I think it's, it's a strong model. Now, for those getting started um, and um, that are looking to do this, it, it can be it's a tricky time because of where rates are going. And, and it depends on the lender. Some lenders fear more of an economic pullback than others. Um, so make sure if a bank tells you, no, we can't do it. Just go talk to the next bank because yeah. there are lenders that will do it. Um, you just have to talk to, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 lenders, some nationals, mostly local um, or lenders that understand that are national um, to do that refi. So, I mean, I love that business model. You just the, the The key though, is that the lender must understand what you're doing and they must understand how investors think, not like a traditional, oh, you're not putting 20% down so I can't do it type thing. You'll still put down the 20%, but they'll cash you out later.
0: Right, so a uh, live example of a property right now that we're looking at mm-hmm. is we're looking to acquire it for one forty-five, and it needs about twenty-five to thirty into it. The a value after repair should be in the two twenty-five to two thirty range. Mm-hmm. So if we if we crunch the numbers, we would be able to pull out all of our cash into the deal and likely another ten to fifteen, maybe even twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and then if we were to flip it depending on what it sells for in the middle of the winter time. I mean, we might make a $25,000 profit. So if, if it were you and you could hold this amazing asset in a great neighborhood, I mean, would you, would you, would you just go ahead and bird out and then keep doing what you're doing and keep, keep moving?
1: Yeah, I, I probably would. Um, I I definitely would because I, I've I've only tried to flip, I think, two properties. But then you have the transactional costs, you know, and then you're you're playing long or short-term capital gains. Um, so you know, I I I would, um, and uh, that's the model that I've been doing for years. I mean, I I, I think there's a time and place to flip and wholesale, um, and um, I, I think it makes sense. But I I'm definitely my mentality, and I think it 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 plays in with my business model because I'm from the Lehigh Valley. I went to school here. I went to college here and I'm, I'm not trying to profit off of a situation or I, I try to offer as much as possible where I'm able to make a profit as the investor, but the seller does too. And I, I'm thinking long-term um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking 10, 20, 30 years down the road and, and not like right here right now. And by refinancing and pulling out equity, Um, it's helped the seller, um, get paid a little bit more. And and it's also helped me keep the properties, pay less tax and, um, and stay invested in my community long-term. So that's the route I've chosen to take. Now there are others that flip and wholesale. That's fine. Like, that's great. You know, do, do what you want to do. But, um, I've, I've always understood the long-term model a little bit more.
0: Man, I love that. It's such a, like for, for somebody who's as transactional as I've been over the last few years, it's such a mind shift because there's so many benefits to that strategy of, of burying out and you got the tax benefits, you got the balance sheet. Yeah, you you it's so many things, It just, it's, yep. it's incredible. So for the person who is, we're gonna shift gears back to the W2 person here mm-hmm. for just a bit. They, they are looking to get into some properties and to get in the habit of doing this whole thing. Um, what are some ways that they can come up with if they had to come up with a down payment or renovation. We, we talked about this offline of, of some strategy that you use with some credit with banks. And I sure. thought it was really cool. And I, would you be willing to share
1: uh, that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, th- I think the first thing that if someone's looking to buy their, their first or second or third property, and they're looking for ways to come up with the down payment, I, I, I think um, what I did when I was getting started, I looked at, it, I said, okay, what are, my, what are my assets? And I had a car that I had paid off. Um, that it was, it was, a. a um, I uh, th- um, I think at the time it was maybe five or six years old. So I had bought it basically new, paid it off. I took out another more a basic, another note on the car. So that, and I think I paid like 2% through the employer's credit union. And then I invested in a property that has yielded much, much more than 2% in profit. So that that's one thing, just look at the assets you have and, and see if you can either refinance them. Um, and I wouldn't like rush to pay down student debt or anything like that. I would keep the cash and then look to invest that, not try to get rid of your loans. Hidden Um, equity, right? It's hidden equity. Exactly. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, next. So you could take 401k loans. So if you have a 401k with your employer, you can borrow from your 401k. I did that. I think for eight years I had a loan out all the time and I would just, I would just it's like, okay, well, I'm taking it out. Like maybe I could have got, you know, 10% in the stock market. But when I bought a property and then I was no cash into the deal, my return was much greater than 10%. Um it just took some creativity. So next would be your 401k. Um also, as you get more experience, there are loan products. So you could do a line of credit in your personal name. Um, so that's that's access to cash. Um, it's it's typically lower, a uh, lower interest rate than credit cards. I never used a credit card to purchase a house or take a cash advance against my car, but I know people who have when they were starting out. So credit cards, um, a line of credit in your personal name. And then um, also there are business lines of credit that you can get if you buy a property in an LLC. Um, Those are harder to do. I think I was in business maybe three or four years before um, I got one of those. And eventually one of my lenders approached me and said, we can put a second lien, a line of credit behind our first mortgage, and we'll go up to a certain amount. And then you can use that to buy properties so long as you refinance them with us. So hopefully that's a roadmap of different lines of credit, like starting from right away, all the way into maybe your fourth or fifth year. But those, I think that's like five or six things that you can explore right there.
0: Yeah. And that's a a lot of uh, really good advice because you know, a couple of those are kind of obvious, but some of them, like the 401k, some people just may never think of that. It's like, oh, I didn't even realize I could do that. And if I did, it seems really risky to invest it in real estate. But when you understand how this process works, you realize that you can get that money right back out as long as you buy the property correctly and then have a relationship with that bank. So yep. um appreciate you sharing all that stuff, Matt. So uh, yeah, man, I mean, we're coming to the end, it looks like we have a few people on. Does anybody have any questions for Matt? He's a wealth of knowledge and I'd love to take advantage of the time we have together here. So if you do, drop your question below, let us know and um, Matt will answer some uh, questions here. Uh, let me let me let me do this. While people are thinking of some questions, are there any like books, routines, habits, any success tips that, you've came across or, or practiced in your adventure to creating this successful real estate company
1: yeah there, there's a few things come to mind um, there's a couple different aspects of that question but the the most valuable real estate is between your ears it's your it's your mind it's your head it's your mindset so before i before i really started getting into physical property i really worked on my my mental property and, and thinking about mindset. So, and I'm sure in other shows you've really, uh, you've really got to dive into that. But books that have helped. Um, I mean, everyone mentions Rich Dad Poor Dad. That shifts the mentality. Um, I really like The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. I've read that book like six times. It's a, it's Gary Keller, Jay Papazan. Fantastic book. I mean, it takes you. It, it I believe it was a memoir for from Gary Keller to his son and he wrote it in like like very fast like a weekend or something like that or at least a portion of it the first chapter and it's 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 very thoughtful, it's very in-depth and it it really takes takes you through the, the roadblocks, the mental roadblocks that you could experience on the way to becoming an investor and and, and why those roadblocks mentally, um, why they're not there (laughs) and why you create them and how you can overcome them. So that, that was a great book. Um, and there's, there's just so many others. I mean, I, I've probably read over a hundred books on, on investing and mindset and, and just like the top ones that you Google, you know, sales, um, uh, you know, negotiating stuff like that. So Um, if you're hungry and you want to go read and learn, you can just Google and and read all those books. In terms of habits, um, I I get up pretty, I mean, not like super early, but I'm, I'm up early and I try to do my, my first, uh, top priorities of the day first. And I really just shut everything off. I don't do anything until that one thing is done. And usually it's two to three hours of doing that thing. But then after that, I respond to emails and stuff like that. So that's just a practice that I've done to, I say like, okay, today, what am I going to get done? I get it done first and then I do the rest of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: And sometimes that might be the hardest thing that, or the thing that you're least excited to do, but it just needs to be done Yeah, um, yeah, to get it out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so many good gold nuggets, man. I'll, I'll drop those um, books and in, in, in the show notes, but um, are you excited to see the man himself, Robert Kiyosaki at the next uh, event? Hopefully you're going to be there
1: yeah yeah i'm I'm still um i'm a, I'm up in the air which is sad to say because there's there's a commitment I might have to be at but um i I'm going to try to come as much as possible but yeah I mean that's uh I'm super excited to to see Robert if I'm able to go and I'm sure it's not going to be like I mean I've probably consumed hundreds of hours of it I mean probably thousands of hours of his, of his stuff and so it's it would be nice just to shake his hand <laughs>
0: right or at least yeah. get a picture right so uh, yeah so, yeah exactly <laughs> and, and so for people who are wondering shout out to investor fuel um my is going to be um getting robert kiyosaki to come speak at the next event that uh matthew and i are a part of the group of the investor fuel mastermind and so it's gonna be fun i hope you make it man but um that's all for now uh where can people learn more about you and and uh your, your company
1: yeah, sure. So um, I can be found uh, pretty much anywhere online. Uh, um That that's our website. So that's a great place to start. Um, and uh, and basically there we list everything out about what we do, the our 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 offers, products, services, and that's a great place to start. And, and then all of our social media stuff, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and all that. We post before and after shots of our our renos and 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 all that, all the good real estate stuff. So social and our website. Beautiful.
0: Well, go check out Matt's website. Go give him a follow on uh, the socials. And um, thank you all for being here. Appreciate you, Matt. Appreciate all your wisdom. Until sure. next thank time, guys. Thank you again guys so much for having me, Michael. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time.